0: what is tashlich? So the Hebrew word tashlich comes from the word lehashlich, which means to throw. So tashlich is a custom. As far as we know, it began in, we don't have an exact date for when it began. Um, we don't know it's earlier, something that it's very, very old. But as far as we know, it began among early Ashkenaz Jews, early German Jews, which is where most European Jews came from originally in the medieval period. Um, probably the 1200s or so, um, perhaps earlier, perhaps elsewhere, it's not clear. We don't know exactly when it started or exactly how old it is. Um, There are some similar customs mentioned in other places something, maybe it does go back very, very far. The first source that mentions Tashtich as we know it is the great Rabbi Yehuda Leib Segel Molen, who was a rabbi in Mainz in the late 1300s. Rabbi Yehuda Leib Segal, Molin, known usually by the acronym Maharil, is considered the father of Ashkenazic custom. He, in his books, recorded a lot of Ashkenaz customs, not just the laws, as were recorded in the Talmud and other commentaries, but he recorded a lot of custom, that and mostly Ashkenaz customs, customs that were, common in Germany in the 1300s when he lived. And so um, he, the, he, Yehudalev, or the Maharil, serves as the source of much of our Ashkenaz custom that have evolved within Ashkenazic communities, many of which are not just Ashkenaz, but are universal customs, such as the Tashlich. So he describes this custom to go to a river or to a lake on the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah to where we throw our sins into the water. Now why would now you can't actually throw your sins. Clearly, it is a metaphor. You go to the water to, so to speak, throw your sins. You can't really throw out your sins. So where does this concept come from? So it actually comes from a verse in the prophet Micha. Micha is one of the small twelve prophets that make up the book of Treasar, the book of 12. Um, which is one of the books of our prophets, in our Tanakh, in the Holy Scriptures. And so the very last three verses of Micha read, Who is a great God like you, avon who bears sin and passes over transgression, um, to the remnants of his inheritance, um, um He does not hold his anger for, forever, for he desires kindness. Yashuvi should return, have pity on us, or have mercy on us. And throw in the depth of the sea all of our sins. So it speaks about God's greatness, how God has pity on us, God has mercy on us. And it describes God throwing our sins out to sea, throwing it out to sea in a way that it's gone and it's never going to be found again. And then he concludes with the verse, the book of Micha concludes with the final verse Titen Emetle Chesed Lavram, give truth to Jacob, kindness to Abraham, Ashen Lavoten, and make that you swore to our forefathers um, in the days of old. So because Micha refers to this concept, Of throwing all of our sins in the depth of the sea. Therefore we go to the sea or to a lake or to a river to throw our sins in the river on Rosh Hashanah. This custom which appears to have begun in Germany um, and was widespread by the 1300s, we don't know exactly when it began or where it began. There are Mentions of similar customs, going to water, without mentioning these details of throwing our synstasy, or similar customs um, mentioned earlier, but Tashtach, as we know, it appears to have begun in Germany, but became very, very quickly widespread. By the 1500s, 1600s, it appears that all Jews around the world were doing it. Um, today, almost every Jewish community in the world, um, Sephardic, Ashkenazic, with very, very few exceptions, do it. There were a handful of scholars that didn't think it was a good idea, so some communities stopped doing it. But generally, almost every Jewish community around the world um, does this hashlech ceremony. Louis, did you have a question? Yeah, it, it kind of always bothered me that we throw bread, which is food. Yeah, Why not a just a stone? You know, like uh, uh, that, that should that have been. That is an that, excellent question. I'm going to get to that. Okay. We'll talk about the throwing food. So when is Tashlech done? So usually Tashlech is done on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a two-day holiday. While most holidays in the land of Israel are one day, in the diaspora we have two days. Um, and that's because um, in the diaspora they didn't always know which day the holiday was when um, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council, would decide the first day of the month, month by month. And because of that, they kept two days holiday. It's a discussion of its own. I think we once spoke about it in detail. We had an earlier class on it, a uh, fascinating discussion on it, of its own. Rosh Hashanah, though, is a two-day holiday throughout the world, um, including in Israel and in Jerusalem. Um, everywhere, it's always been a two-day holiday. However, um, the first day is considered the more important of the two. And so tashlich was always done on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. However, when the first day of Rosh Hashanah is on Shabbos in Ashkenazic communities, um, we generally don't do it on the first day because you want to carry your prayer book or you want to carry your children um, to the water, wherever it is, and um, you cannot carry in a public area on Shabbos. And therefore, it's been tradition that we don't do it on the first day, but rather we do it on the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Spartan communities continue doing it on the first day of rosh hashanah even when rosh hashanah is on a shabbos when is it done so the maharil mentions to do it after you eat your lunch so you eat um you do prayer all morning on rosh hashanah and then we do an, an early afternoon we break for lunch and then after you do your lunch you do the prayer uh you do the tashlich. however the tradition is to do it after the minchar, after the afternoon prayer on Rosh Hashanah. We do the afternoon prayer a little early, and then we do the tashlech. The community would go to the river or to the lake or a body of water and do the tashlech prayer. Now, those that were unable to do it on Rosh Hashanah, either they forgot about it, they got too busy, perhaps they have no water near them that they could walk to on Rosh Hashanah, can do it. Do the tashlich any day after Rosh Hashanah. You have until Yom Kippur. You can still do tashlich, and if you did not do it by Yom Kippur, you can still do it until the final day of Sukkot, known as Hoshana Rabbah. So that's which is three weeks after Rosh Hashanah. So what do we actually do at this tashlich? What do we do? So the main part of tashlich is you go to the river or you go to a lake, or here you can go to the ocean. We're among the lucky people um, on this planet that live very close to an ocean. And so you can go to the ocean, and you can recite. And over there, we recite these last three verses in Micha, Mi Kamohu, who is a God like you, describing God as being merciful and kind, asking God, Yashuv Yerachameno to return, have pity on us, um, and throw all our sins, all our sins, into the depth of the sea. So we recite that prayer, Mi kel Kamocha. These last three verses from Micha, we recite it at the water. There is also a custom to recite the um, verses from chapter one eighteen of Psalms, Min ha-mei tzar Karati Ka. From the depth, I call to God, um, Anani, and God answers me, Ba When things are pleasant, when things are wide, uh, when things are, uh, in other words, God answers me and makes things comfortable. So I am struggling. I am in a difficult challenge. I call out to God and God makes things good. Um, It is said that the shofar represents this verse because you blow the shofar, the side that you put your mouth on that you blow the air through is very, very narrow. The rest, the side it comes out of is very wide. So it represents this idea that you call to God from the straits, from the challenges, when you're in a very narrow situation, and then God makes it very wide, very pleasant, gives you everything that you need. So because it's connected with Rosh Hashanah, we recite this verse um, as well. There is also a custom to recite a verse from Isaiah 11, they will not, um, do bad um, in all of my holy mountain. Um, that the earth will be filled of knowledge of God. This is talking about in the future times when Moshiach comes and God brings gets rid of all evil. Everybody will be filled with knowledge of God, as water covers the sea. So just as the water is covering the sea, everybody will know all about God. Standing before the water, we mentioned how the water is representative of God's. Um, of knowledge of God that we will have in the future time. Um, there's also a custom to recite chapter 33 of Psalms, bah Hashem, the righteous sing with God. And there's also a custom to recite a prayer at the end, asking God to forgive our sins and to give us a good year. Um, there's, a ha- there's a couple different versions of this prayer and various masters of various prayer books will have a different version. There's then also a custom to shake out our garments, shake your clothing a little bit as a sign. This is mentioned already by the Maharil and others um, as a sign, kind of a symbolism of shaking off our sins. Now, clearly, you cannot just shake off your clothing um, in order to shake off your sins. It doesn't work like that. It's rather a symbolic ritual that, represents shaking off our sins. But the real way to shake off sins is not by shaking your clothing. It's by regretting what you've done and committing to changing. It's the Hebrew term teshuva. We're going to talk about it more in detail in two weeks in our class before Yom Kippur. Um, but it means to regret what you've done and change your way. So changing the clothing is really just symbolic. So that's what the tashlich entails. Reciting The main part of Tasha is reciting the three verses from Micha, the last three verses of Micha. There's a number of other verses from Psalms um, and a verse from Isaiah that many recite as well, as well as uh, prayer, um, asking for forgiveness and shaking our clothing. Relaxing. We would not throw anything into the water. That is a myth. There is no need to throw anything into the water, nor should we. And I will explain <coughs> why. Yes, I know there's a lot of questions, but I'll get to the throwing things in the water in a moment. But um, I know Don has a question. Go ahead. Yes, Rabbi, uh, are those prayers uh, that are said in the Tashlik found in our Siddur? They are all found in the Mahsar. So because our Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur prayers are so big and so, uh, there's so much to say, so historically, rather than printing them in the Siddur, um, it would make your Siddur very, very big and hard to, hard to carry around. So historically, it's usually printed in a separate book that's known as a machzor. So there's a Rosh Hashanah machzor and a Yom Kippur machzor, a separate book, just prayers for Rosh Hashanah, just prayers for Yom Kippur. So they're found in the Rosh Hashanah machzor. Uh, Rabbi, uh, this is no. Bart. I just wanted yes. to ask, a, maybe I didn't get this. I think you maybe commented, but um, why do you need to do it near the water instead okay, of no, just... That's a very good question. Excellent question. Why do we need to do it to the, with, near the water? Um, so I'm going to address that next. But let me just see if there's any other questions before we go further. Is there any others? Well, Sandy was saying, again, why does it have to be rocks? And you said you I'll don't get need to that. In a mo- I'm going to get to that in a moment as well. We don't throw anything in the water, but I will soon get to that as well. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of um, a confessional. And then you, you, you throw away your sins, uh, never to return, right? And, you, and they're just gone. I mean, I, I, I do have a hard time with that, and I know that you're...
1: Clearly, <laughs> and clearly,
0: as I just mentioned, shaking your clothing and reciting these verses does not remove your sins. It doesn't work <laughs> like that, right? Clearly, <laughs> no. you have to get rid of the bad that you've done um, by shaking your clothing. Rather, it's symbolic of the need to change our ways. But the real way to get rid of a person's sins Uh, we'll talk about this again more when we talk about Teshuvah in two weeks, is you have to regret what you've done without regretting what you've done. You've got to be know what you did wrong, regret it without regretting it. There's no change. And then you've got to make a solid commitment that you'll keep to that you're going to change your ways. You're going to be different. You're never going to do that again. That's the real way to do Teshuvah and to get rid of our transgressions. Now, we do a lot of symbolic things to help push us along and help remind us of what we have to do, that we need to shake off our sins. But clearly, shaking your clothing does not actually do it. It's rather a ritual, a symbolic ritual, to help encourage us to actually change our ways. Thank you. Sure. So why do we go to water? Why do we go to a body of water, a river, a lake, so the most obvious reason is because these three verses in Micha describe throwing our sins into the depth of the sea so therefore the water has that symbolism of um, the water has that symbolism of um, getting rid of our getting rid of something so that it is totally gone there are however many other reasons given to go to the water one reason given. Is that on the um, Rambam? The Israelist gives this reason that on Rosh Hashanah we remember the Akedah. Earlier, I mentioned that we read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah the story of the Akedah. Um, The Akedah is when Abraham was told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac on an altar, and Abraham, without hesitating for a moment, um, got up, um, took his son, who was an adult at the time, according to our traditions and um, brought him to Mount Moriah, which is where the temple later stood in Jerusalem, and over there built an altar, tied his son on the altar, was about to slaughter him when an angel of God came and told Abraham, do not touch the child, don't do anything to him, I was just testing you to see if you will follow what I tell you. And we invoke this every year on Rosh Hashanah, both because we, our tradition is that it happened on Rosh Hashanah, but also because Rosh Hashanah is a day that we stand in judgment before God. And we know that often we are not worthy of God giving us everything that we're asking for. And so we ask God, and we invoke this very often, Moses already does this in the Torah, a concept called tzchut the merit of our fathers. What that means is if somebody, um, somebody perhaps hasn't done much good, however, you know, I know that if I haven't done much good, and I don't, I'm not really very deserving, But you know my parents, and you owe a lot to my parents or to my grandfather. So as a favor to my parents or a favor to my grandparents, please help me. So we do the same to God. We invoke that very often. We say, God, we may may not be deserving, but Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they are definitely deserving. In their merit, please help us. And that's why we always invoke um, God as Elokei Abraham, Elokei Yitzhak, Elokei Yaakov, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in particular on Rosh Hashanah, when we need God's help, we invoke this particular event, Abraham's great test when he was tested by God. We invoke it and we ask God, remember us in honor of Abraham, give us a good year in honor of Abraham. It's also something that's supposed to teach us a very, very powerful lesson. The Akeda Abraham was told to do something that went against all his values, everything that God had told, taught him until now, both the value of human life, that God abhors human sacrifice, as well as God had promised him for many years that he would have a child until he finally had a child. And God said, this is going to be the future of your people. And then God tells him, sacrifice this child, which contradicted everything God had ever told him. And yet, Abraham did not question God for a moment and went ahead and did what he was told to without any questioning whatsoever, did it straight away. And it reminds us that Well, generally the Torah, we say, its ways are pleasant, all its paths are peaceful. The Torah is usually pleasant to follow the Torah. Mitzvahs are enjoyable to do, they're pleasant to do. But sometimes, depending on the situation we're in, sometimes it can be extremely challenging to do a mitzvah. And it reminds us that no matter the challenge, like Abraham, we do it anyway. If we know this is what God wants from us right now, and if we are certain, as Abraham was then, that this is what God wants from us, we must do it regardless. And so it serves as that kind of message that we have to be prepared to sacrifice whatever it takes to do God's will. So because of that, um, we invoke the Akeda on Rosh Hashanah. And in fact, when Abraham did not slaughter his son, he had an altar prepared with wood on the altar to light a fire and a knife. And um, he then saw a ram caught in the bushes. And so he went over, he took the ram, and he slaughtered the ram instead as a sacrifice. And so we remind God of that by blowing the shofar. That is one of the reasons it was caught by its horns. And that is one of the reasons why we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So the Midrash tells us that when Abraham was on his way to the Akeda, was on his way to sacrifice his son, the Midrash tells us that Satan, Satan, we did a class about Satan some time ago, um, attempted to stop Abraham, used many different Challenges to try to stop him. One of the challenges is he stood before him like a raging river. So, Abraham faced this raging river that was hard to cross. And Abraham did not stop for a moment. He waded straight, he went straight across the river. He waded through the river together with his son um, without stopping, without hesitating for a moment, just kept going. And so, this reminds us. That when we face challenges, when we're supposed to be doing something, we're supposed to be doing a mitzvah, God has commanded us to do something, and we face a challenge, perhaps there is a raging river that is difficult to cross. Don't even hesitate. Just jump right in. Go right ahead. Don't stop for a moment. And so that determination of Abraham is something that we want to remember on Rosh Hashanah. So because we want to remember this raging river that Abraham crossed on his way to the Akeda, that is why we go to a river or a pool of water to remember that even if we are faced with a raging river or a lake, or I guess over here it's an ocean that's in front of you, don't hesitate. Keep going forward. Um, nothing to worry about. If you're told to do it, go ahead and do it. Do your best. Keep working at it. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Keep going. So that is the Tashlich. is supposed to remind us to go, we go to the water to remind us of the power of um, uh, Abraham's determination uh, and dedication to keep going no matter what happens. We're not deterred. We're ready to walk through the water or whatever else it takes um, to do the right thing, to follow God's commandments. Another reason given why we go to the um, water is in the book of Kohelet, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, "Mishpatecha tohom rabba. God's judgment is found in the depths of the sea. What does that mean? So, in the ocean, there is a as as there is on dry land, but in the ocean, there is a very complex feeding system, where there are big fish that feed on small fish that feed on smaller fish that feed on smaller fish, and then those big fish eventually die. And then there are other fish that then eat those dead big fish. And so there's this whole cycle where everything is able to survive on everything else within the seas, within the water. And if you look, go in the water, you see that they're all eating each other. They're all um, consuming each other. It is all God's perfect design, God's control of everything, deciding who eats what and who is how everything is able to survive. On land, um, it's not as visible, um, it's not as easy to see, but we have similar environment, we have similar cycles, and so it reminds us of God's control of everything. So the depth, the sea, the water reminds us of the sea life and the complexity of sea life, which is even more complex than life on land, and um, how God is in absolute control of everything. Reminds us how on Rosh Hashanah, God is in control of us as well, and we stand in judgment uh, before God. Another reason, given why we go to the water, is the prophet Jeremiah says, "Hanoten that God made sand as the border of the sea. In other words, had God not raised our land a little bit higher than the ocean, if we would be just a little bit lower, or the oceans would be raised just a little bit, we'd all disappear. You keep hearing everyone saying it's going to happen sooner or later but the the Jeremiah already dealt with this um, rising ocean problem um, that it's a that uh, if the oceans would be a little higher or we'd be a little lower would all disappear would' all be covered by ocean, but God made land a little bit higher and the oceans a little bit lower so that we humans are able to survive that all of land life life that sits on land is able to survive so God places the sand at the border of the sea, stopping the sea, making our perfect world. And so it reminds us, again, of God's total control um, over creation. It reminds us that we only exist due to God's kindness. If God's kindness would disappear for a moment, everything would fall apart. But God makes our world continue to function and continue to work in a perfect way. Another reason given for going to the water is that on Rosh Hashanah we crown God as king. We accept that we will follow all of God's instructions, all of his laws, as if he were the king of our land. And so we, so to speak, crown God as king. And it's one of the themes of the prayers um, that we say on Rosh Hashanah. Now, in ancient tradition, kings were always crowned next to a river or a stream. to signify, just as the river never dries up, so too the king's reign will continue. And so God's reign, our commitment to following God, what God wants, is also something that will continue. And therefore, we um, do the tashlech by a river or a stream um, for that reason. Um, because of that tradition, um, we generally don't go to a man-made body of water, but which will dry up because it was made by man. But rather, we generally go to either a natural body of water, a natural lake, or a river, or in places where there was no river or lake, what they would do is they would dig wells, which is also natural. And um, it's a natural underground water. And so, and they would do it by a well. And in fact, many synagogues, many ancient synagogues in Europe, and the same is true of many modern synagogues, dug wells in the backyard of the synagogue. And you'll go to many older synagogues, you'll see a well. In the courtyard of the synagogue, there'll be a well. Why did they dig the well there? Not because people came to the synagogue to draw water, but because it was there for the tashlich ceremony. And many synagogues today have it um, at many synagogues. You go to some older synagogues in Europe, you'll see there's a well in the synagogue courtyard that was dug in order that they should go there for tashlich because there's no river um, in close, uh, that is close by. So those are some of the reasons why we go to a river. Now tradition is that we don't only go to a river or a lake, or an ocean, but we make sure to go to one that has fish in it. A number of reasons are given. We mentioned the tradition to eat fish on Rosh Hashanah, or the head of a fish on Rosh Hashanah. um, And for the same reason, we go to a river or lake with fish. Um, One reason given is that fish, why fish? Um, One reason given is that fish never close their eyes. They have no eyelids. Unlike all mammals that always, and many other animals that close their eyes, fish have no eyelids, they never close their eyes, their eyes are always open, just as God's eyes are always open. God is always looking after us and protecting us. If God would close his eyes for a moment, we wouldn't survive. We're only here by God's grace or God's kindness at every single moment. Another reason I mentioned it earlier is fish multiply very, very quickly, and so we want our blessings to increase. So that is why we go to the water for Tashlech, and we go where there is fish. You can, in theory, do it at your, in your backyard pool, but you miss out the natural pool of water. So ideally, you should go to a natural pool of water. Um, and uh, thankfully, we all, most of us live pretty close to the beach. If you do, you have no problem. Um, you can go to the beach. Um, you don't actually have to be on the beach. You can, even if you see it from a distance, um, so you can stand uh, even a mile or two away, in a lot of places in the city where you can see the water. Um, that's good enough. As long as you can see the water, you can do the tashlich as well. The Arizal teaches, the great Kabbalist Arizal teaches that these verses in Mika that we recite at the tashlich, Mikel Kamoha, really represent the 13 attributes of mercy. A year ago, we did a class on these 13 attributes of mercy. when the, When Israel was in the desert, the children of Israel, Um, our ancestors. And right after the giving of the Torah, they worshiped the golden calf. And God was very upset, and God told Moses that he would destroy the people. And Moses begged God for his forgiveness. And God forgave the people. After God forgave the people, God told Moses, I am going to teach you how to invoke my mercy. And he taught him then, the the 13 attributes of mercy that we recite during our slichot prayers, which we recite every morning in the week before Rosh Hashanah. We recite many times on, Yom, we recite on Rosh Hashanah, many times on Yom Kippur throughout our prayers. We recite these 13 attributes of mercy that invoke God's mercy. Um, they start, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, V'chanon, God, God who is merciful. And uh, we did a class, we went through the many, the, the different attributes um, and what each one means. The Arizal teaches that these three, ver- la- the last three verses of Micha, Mikel Kamocha, that speak about Um, God throwing our sins to the bottom of the sea, also invoke the 13 attributes of mercy. There are 13 phrases found in these three verses. And those 13 phrases, each one represents another of the 13 attributes of mercy. So it is a really a way to invoke God's mercy. In the same way, the second series of verses that we say from chapter 118 in Psalms, I call to God from the depth and God answers me in a generous way, which we said represents the shofar, which is narrow at the top and wide at, or narrow where you blow it from and wide at the end. And so um, those verses also says that Arizal um, of Minhametzal from 118 in Psalms also has 13 phrases. And those 13 phrases also represent the 13 attributes of mercy. And therefore, the Arizal said we should do this tashlich because when we recite these verses from Micha and from Psalms, we are invoking God's mercy just as we recite the verses that God taught Moses, Hashem Hashem Rachum v'chanom. And we should go to a body of water to recite this tashlech because water represents God's kindness. In Kabbalah, we are told that God has two sides. The right side of God is God's kindness or chesed. The left side is, or the other side is, God's Gavura, restraint or judgment. In Kabbalah, teaches that chesed, God's kindness, um, is God giving from above, flowing down. God's energy flowing from above down to creation. Geburah, restraints, or judgment, is energy from creation going back up to God. So kindness is the downward flow, and judgment, the left side, is an upward flow. And so therefore in Kabbalah, water, which wherever you pour it will always move to the lowest spot it can find, represents God's kindness, while fire, where when you light fire will keep moving upwards, represents God's judgment. And so therefore on Rosh Hashanah, because we want to invoke, when we want to invoke invoke 13 attributes of mercy, um, we want to invoke God's kindness, and therefore we go to a pool of water and, and recite these attributes in order to invoke God's kindness. So that is the um, Kabbalistic reason for, the reason given by the Ari for Tashlich to invoke the 13 attributes of mercy as expressed by the prophet Micha and as expressed in Psalm 118, to, uh, uh, to do it by water, representing God's kindness, to invoke God's kindness and mercy, that God have mercy on us and give us a good year. So now I know many of you are very disturbed by the question of, throwing things into the water. I mentioned earlier that it is a myth, it is a mistake to throw things into the water. Many, though, for some reason, believe that it's about throwing bread or throwing other things to the fish or to the sea. Now, or to the water. Now, the word tashlich means to throw. Tashlich actually means you will throw. Tashlich v'mtzulot yam, you will throw into the depths of the sea. So it means you will throw. Um, some call it v'tashlich, and you will throw, which is actually the word in the verse in Micha. So tashlich means to throw, but it's about throwing our sins. It's not about throwing food or anything else. It's a metaphor. You can't literally throw sins out to sea, but it's a metaphor of getting rid of our sins, changing our ways, doing teshuva and never going back. One should not, though, throw anything into the water. That is a big mistake because firstly, throwing food out to sea transgresses the prohibition of Baal Tashchit, not to waste. Torah law forbids us to unnecessarily waste. You should not waste food. Definitely you should never throw good food out into the water. That is a biblical prohibition of wasting. We're not allowed to waste anything. I guess if it's already garbage bread that's no longer edible, Um, you wouldn't have that problem. But generally, don't throw good food out um, at all. That's forbidden. It also is not good for the fish. It will kill the fish. Fish don't eat bread. Um, It causes also environmental problems. Um, In in a small pond, it will definitely ruin the pond and kill the fish. In a larger um, body of water, it still will cause problems. It's not a good thing. It's particularly a problem on Rosh Hashanah because we are forbidden from feeding non-domesticated animals on Rosh Hashanah. One of the 39 prohibitions on Shabbos, which also applies on Yom Tov, is trapping. We're forbidden to trap an animal. Now, because of the prohibition of trapping on Shabbos and Yom Tov, our sages said, part of trapping is putting out bait. So our sages said, as they they added many um, prohibitions, to the laws of Shabbos that it were not originally in the Torah, our sages said, do not feed wild animals because so that you do not put out bait and it doesn't lead you to trapping. Don't do anything that's even similar to trapping. So there's a rabbinic prohibition of feeding wild animals on Shabbos or Tov that are not owned by, that you don't own you can feed your domesticated animals, of course you have to feed them, you've got to take care of them, but the wild animals, one does not feed on Shabbos and Yamdav, therefore you cannot feed fish to the sea, uh, Fish feed food to the fish, since they're wild, they're not domesticated, you cannot feed them, um, you also should not pick up stones, someone suggested earlier throwing stones, um, stones are mukta, anything that doesn't have um, particular use cannot be used for something in particular um, is considered muktan forbidden to touch on Shabbos and Yamdun. So we don't pick up stones at all on Shabbos and Yamdun. We shouldn't throw stones either. So it is a misconception that we should throw things into the water. It is wrong. It is a mistake. Um, it should never have been done. Now, don't be surprised though that you have this misconception. This misconception has been around for a very, very, very long time. In fact, the first mention that we have of the Tashlich ceremony by the Maharil, by Rabbi Yehuda Leib Sagamolen, mentions that people make the mistake of throwing food to the fish. Don't do it. It's a mistake. It's forbidden to do it on Yom He already mentions this in the 1300s, people were making that mistake. Don't do it. And there are many, many other references to the fact that people continued throughout the generations to throw things for Tashlich throw things into the water. It's forbidden to do so. One should not do so. It's wrong. And generation after generation, rabbi after rabbi, tried to discourage their community from doing so. For some reason, this mistaken custom has persisted and still persists today, but is a mistake. And we should not do it. We should not be throwing anything to the water for all the above mentioned reasons. Um, it is not about throwing things to the fish. It is a metaphoric um, or ritual that represents removing our sins or throwing our sins out to the water. There is a custom already mentioned by Review the Lord Molin and by many others um, of shaking our clothing as kind of a ritual to remind ourselves of throwing things out to the sea. Um, so shaking out our clothing, some shake out their pockets, but shaking out our clothing as kind of we're shaking ourselves off. But again, it's just, it's just a ritual The real action is to change our ways and really do teshuva. But definitely we should not throw things out to the sea. It's it's forbidden to do so on the holiday and um, it's also not good for the environment. It's forbidden to waste um, and definitely something that we should not do and discourage others from doing. People are often surprised when I tell them not to do it Um, and they want to know what blessing do you have to say when you throw out the bread? There's no blessing to say. Um, It's not about throwing out bread, it's about reciting the verses from Micha. Um, People want to know how much bread they have to throw out to fulfill the obligation. Again, there's no obligation, there's no bread, it's a mistake. Uh, People are often surprised to hear that, but um, it's something that we should let people know who don't know that it is a mistake. You should not be throwing out bread. It's a a, um, mistake that seems to have persisted for at least 700 years, Um, and um, continues. I don't know why it's been so persistent, but it definitely... um, I don't believe there is a single single scholar um, or rabbi that I'm aware of who has ever encouraged or endorsed um, this custom. Um, It rather is a um, custom based on, uh, for some reason, persistent, but it is a mistaken custom. So tashlich, like many other rituals that we mentioned earlier, is a um, one of a number of custom that, customs that developed over the years for Rosh Hashanah, like we said, eating certain foods and not eating certain foods and dipping our bread in honey um, and other things that we do um, on Rosh Hashanah, um, different rituals we do on Rosh Hashanah to remind us of the holiness of the day. Now that all stands apart, I should be very clear, from the shofar. shofar is the mitzvah of the Torah for the day that is very important that everybody has to hear. The others are just customs that evolved uh, mostly over the past Um, 1,000 years or so, or 2,000 years, uh, regarding Rosh Hashanah. Now, these customs are very, very meaningful, but of course, that's not, the holiday is not the customs. The holiday of Rosh Hashanah is a very solemn holiday, a very powerful and meaningful holiday. It is about three things of Rosh Hashanah that are all interconnected. One is proclaiming God as our king, or accepting that we will follow God's commandments for the coming year, that we're committed to doing what God wants, as if he were our, Sovereign. Secondly, we ask God to remember us for good and give us a good year. Um, We stand in judgment. And third, the third thing is the mitzvah of blowing the shofar. These three things are all interrelated or all all interconnected. We resolve to do good next year, hoping to get a good year. Um, We blow the shofar both to proclaim God as king, um, as part of our resolve to do everything we're supposed to, and to invoke God to ask God to remember us. Um, the reason why we blow the is these three things are interconnected, but those are the three themes of Rosh Hashanah. Making God our king, asking God to remember us for good and give us a good year, and blowing the shofar. All the other customs that have evolved are all powerful customs, but they're all part of bringing our, the abstract ideas of Rosh Hashanah that are expressed in detail in our prayers, bringing them into our own experience. Ritual is found throughout Judaism. Ritual is very important because it helps um, it helps materialize or help you helps you feel what you're trying to express. It's sometimes hard to feel and relate to abstract things. When we bring it into ritual, it makes it easier to relate to. So these customs are very powerful but it's important to remember that it's not about the custom, but about the meaning behind the custom. So yes, the, um, we have a custom to go to the river and recite the verses from Micha, or go to the water and recite the verses from Micha. However, it's not about reciting the verse, it's about changing our ways, regretting our past, and committing to do better committing not to go back to our old ways, regretting the bad that we've done and committing to do better over the coming year. We strengthen that commitment or actualize it. It makes it easier for us to relate to it when we do an actual ritual, go to the water, recite these verses from Micha, invoking God's mercy and describing, throwing our sins out to sea, and... Shaking off our garments, and they're a ritual that helps us bring to, uh, bring, uh, to internalize and relate to the role that we're supposed to be playing on Rosh Hashanah of changing our ways. So the rituals are important, but the importance is because ri- they bring life to the real theme, which is changing our ways and doing teshuva. So that is really the power of tashlich. It's not the ritual itself, but it is what, um, but it is the meaning behind that tashlich helps us realize that.